know what that means? Everything. Anglo-thieves. Gettle's gone. Oh my god, you people have just failed me. Failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland. We have just gone full And welcome to episode 43 of Anglophies. Shit's gonna get real. You see what I did there? <laughs> Hi, I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. And today we're gonna be talking about reality TV, but we have a few other things that we want to talk about first. There's been, lately, it seems... A significant massacre of female characters on TV, and movies, and TV, and a lot of these characters are characters of color, and it's it's bullshit, is what it is. It's infuriating. Yeah. Well, we we need we should sort of bring this back a little bit. Uh, I think it started the massacre started on the 100 the CW show. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the traditional dead lesbians trope, mm-hmm. the show had spent a significant amount of its energy and marketing and appealing to the fan base by promoting the LGBTQ friendly content and how happy they were to have such a you know passionate LGBTQ fan base who supported this one pairing of these two women, and one of them gets killed off. Right, and they had been like, look, she, the actress is on the set, we're filming the finale, everything is fine. We promise we're not queer baiting. We promise. There was, like, implicit assurances that they weren't going to do yeah. this, and then they did this, and they can't understand why people are mad. And they're trying to pull the whole, well, it's just fiction, which is always a bad response, and then, well, it's a dangerous universe, people die all the time, which is even worse. And, and fans responded with, you know, real passion to this, as they had the right to do so. And then couple this with Ricky Whittle, who was a star on the show, leaving and going on an interview to say that he had been bullied by the showrunner. He'd been marginalized and felt left out and his contributions were not appreciated. So he was considered expendable. Fortunately, he has a really great thing to fall back on. But not many actors of color have that luxury. Mm-hmm. Right. And, yeah, it's true that the actress playing Alexa, whose name I don't remember, has a starring role on Fear the Walking Dead. So she had to, she was leaving the show, but they could have, like, not done this. Well, that's what gets me, because this ties into the next major TV death, which was our beloved Abby Mills on Sleepy Hollow. We've talked a bit before about how Sleepy Hollow has the greatest first season ever (laughs) and how that quickly fell apart because it became evident that the people making the show had no idea who they were making the show for. Mm -hmm. They were trying to to appeal to a fan base that didn't want them. Yeah, that didn't really exist and then marginalized the fan base that actually adored the show. And marginalized the people on the show, particularly Nicole Harry and Orlando Jones. 
it's really the people of colour on the show who were the ones the fans were most enthusiastic about, the ones who were most active in engaging with the fans. You know, Orlando Jones's fabulous fan trolling is a model people should be emulating, you know? Mm-hmm. So you get to season three and it's really all about Ichabod and his wife that no one cares about. His family that no one cares about. And then Betsy Ross is a character in it, played by Nikki Reed, which is the epitome of no one cares about. <laughs> and Nicole Bahari finally got out of her contract and how did they do that? They had her sacrifice her life for the white group. Mm-hmm. And then one of the show's writers went on the record as being pretty dickish about it, I thought. Or tweeting about the usual excuses that I, I previously mentioned for the 100, and fans were just like, there's the point, you missed it. Oh, and right. it was completely transparent about how much this pissed him off, which was delightful. Mm-hmm. But it was, this just kept happening. And yeah. it became recently obvious that even if you are the lead of the damn show, you are considered completely expendable in favour of the white dude. So, what else have we had happen this happened with? Castle. 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 Yeah, they just announced that Stana Kadic and uh, Ooh, the, actress Laney. the play- actress who played Laney, and I don't remember her name, and I'm bad. Um, ha- their contracts have not been renewed, and this is not a mutual decision. And this is for the final short season. It's not even a full season pickup. This is them wrapping things up and they decided for quote-unquote budgetary reasons the lead of the show was not going to come back. I don't... Disclaimer, I haven't actually watched Castle in about two or three seasons. I stopped, I think, somewhere in the middle of season six. It's one of those shows where I figure, oh, I'll always catch up on Netflix. But, I, you know, they spend years developing this relationship between Castle and Beckett and it was like the centerpiece of the show and how do you what do you what is even the point if you're gonna do this mm-hmm. well you believe the all but confirmed rumors uh this really wasn't anything to do with stana katic this was to do with her co-star the yeah. two have had a rumored frosty relationship for a really long time with rumors including philly and having uh clause in his contract that said they only had to film together two days a week that he wanted more plot that were focused on exclusively Castle because that's the reason people was watching the show that he yeah. didn't want to work with her and he made her repeatedly cry on set by throwing around his ego Yeah. so obviously just prefacing these are rumours we are not confirming anything this is just the rumours that have been going around for several seasons now you can go on you know Previously.tv and Castle message boards and hear all of this stuff. This has been around for a long time. But it's hard to ignore in the context of what we've been seeing happening for the past few weeks. And the ways in which, no matter what the fan base wants, and it's clear that Castle is a really huge fan base, don't want this. No matter what critical word is, no matter what the landscape of television and entertainment is like you are totally expendable for the most bullshit reasons if you're mm-hmm. not a cisgender heterosexual white dude terribly named mm-hmm. we'll also accept pride yeah and this extends to four TV shows 
Arrow has currently been happening with, the Blacklist. Yeah. Um, I understand no one's watching that show for reasons other than James Spader, but come on. <laughs> and then if you look at what's been happening in film recently, the new Huntsman movie came out. You may remember it as a sequel to Snow White and the Huntsman, but there's no Snow White. Sort of a sequel. It's a prequel slash sequel. It's very, it's it's a hot mess of a movie. I saw it last night. I thought it was it's a like straight a up prequel. No? Nope. No. Oh. You thought it was. You did think it. Yes, you did think that. <laughs> I mean, I was never planning on seeing it. <laughs> yeah. No, it looked like frozen fan fiction to me. Oh, it totally is. It totally is. It's it's a hot mess of a movie. It is a hot, hot ass mess. And like it's designed around the absence of Snow White, so like you can get fired from your own franchise that you headlined. It's it's awkward and bad and the fact that there are three women and one dude above the title doesn't help any of its problems. It doesn't negate the central problem there, which was if that movie had flopped, if Snow White and the Huntsman had flopped, and it didn't, it made a lot of money, but if it had flopped, it would have been put on the door of Kristen Stewart. Yep. It would not have been put on the door of Chris Hemsworth, who has got to hell. I think his past three or four films have not made their money. He did In the Heart of the Sea, which was a massive flop, one of the biggest flops of last year. And because well, no one actually wants to see a movie about maritime cannibalism. Sorry, Ron Howard, but it's true. Hannibal on a boat. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, it's not. It's not pretty cannibalism. It's oh, just okay. like, well, <laughs> well, <laughs> well let's just gnaw on his leg here. <laughs> that's where I draw the line. Uh, so we've, we've seen this problem tying into the most recent. Um, oh, fuck you, Hollywood issue, which was the whitewashing of both Marvel's Doctor Strange and the Ghost in the Shell. Ugh, just... Yeah. Hate flames on the side of my face. Right. I mean, oh, yeah. like, if people want to say, and they do say this, well, I can't think of any Asian actors, like, because Hollywood has driven Asian actors out of Hollywood. Yeah. Most of the Asian actors who have come over from China and Japan have tried to break in and end up in shit roles Mm -hmm. that they kind of go, well, I'm just going to go home and make my money there. And there's an excellent article um, that Kaylee tweeted earlier. We'll link it in the show notes. Well, it's an opinion editorial piece in uh, the New York Times that kind of lays out that the, log- the Hollywood logic is faulty because, no, the whitewashed movies do not make money. And a lot of movies that have, you know, just racially diverse casts and crews do. And I can't be the only one sitting there and remembering, like, the early 2000s kind of spike of movies with Asian actors and African-American mm-hmm. actors. So you had Romeo Must Die, Cradle to the Grave. Jet Li was really popular. Does anybody remember that? Jet Li was super popular. <laughs> Make great movies. But it was treated as like a passing trend. They never thought of it as being something consistent. It was really kind of seen as something to fetishize. But even if you just look at, they're using the economic defense of, well, we need to cast profitable actors. But if you look at the, every, almost every anime adaptation Hollywood has made over the past like decade and a half, they don't make money. They've got white people in them. 
Like, Dragon Ball movie it probably wouldn't have been better if Asian people were in it, but you know, that movie was going to be more profitable just because you cast white people in it. Or Speed Racer, which I actually think is a really good movie, but it's the same problem. I tried making Death Note. When you cast the white actors in it, you already alienate the fans of the anime and the manga, but you don't really do anything to invite new fans. Like, it's not enough no. to just say, look, we've got white people. That's great. Nobody actually gives a shit. I'm like, <laughs> I know you think otherwise. But <laughs> what, what made this obviously more egregious, particularly in the instance of Ghost in the Shell, which is one of the most influential pieces of Japanese animation the past 50 years, and of course the lead is being played by Scarlett Johansson, uh, were the, the defenses you kept hearing over and over again, which is, but she's playing a cyborg! It's like that job, that, that cyborg is so <laughs> And then yeah. the news came out that the studio had allegedly, they claimed this didn't happen, but they had allegedly employed CGI tests to make Scarlett Johansson look, and I quote, more Asian. <laughs> I'm going to share a secret with people. There's a much cheaper way to get yeah. Asian. Casting an Asian actor. Yeah. There's a really excellent <clears throat> piece of uh, Photoshop editing that puts uh, Ringo Kikchi in it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it, like, kind of with her, even the hairstyle, just the Makamori had in Pacific Rim, and like, really, uh, hello, there was a very obvious answer there for you. Yeah. But you can look at this from the quote unquote economic point of view. The biggest box office market in the world right now is China. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, if you're going to pander to the Chinese market, which, honestly, they've been doing for a while now, if you look at the most recent Transformers movie, for instance, how about casting Asian actors? And it would make um, economic sense to cast Rinko Kuchi, who is an Oscar-nominated actress, with yep. a big budget hit behind her Pacific Rim. She may not be as instantly recognisable as Carol Johansson to a lot of people, but she looks a whole lot more like that goes in the tail character, and fans of the anime will get that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm generally fairly forgiving of actors not turning down roles, because this is their job, they have to work, and if you turn down roles, it's going to make your agent angry and not send you out, and it's going to make your manager angry and not try to drum up work for you. However, ScarJo is in a place in her life and her career where she could have, without too much personal consequence, said, you know what? You know what? Maybe this isn't the best idea. But the thing was, she did. She originally turned the role down because they didn't offer her enough money. They went to Margot Robbie, which isn't a better choice. But they did that as a negotiating tactic. And she's getting paid $10 million for this role. I get wanting to command a big salary. Women in Hollywood don't get anywhere near the same level as men. I get that. Lean in, sweetheart. But this was all sorts of wrong for her to do. And she cannot have been ignorant to the conversation that has been going on in Hollywood, particularly this year. Yeah. But it has been for a long time. You know which argument also pisses me off? There's always the comment of, well, we're, this is a big budget. They're spending a lot of money. They have to, uh, you know, guarantee success. Well, first of all, history has shown that it doesn't guarantee success. Nope. And second of all, history has also shown that you don't actually need a big budget. Did you see that Deadpool made the same money as Batman v Superman on, what, a quarter of the budget? 
Yeah. <laughs> weirdly happy. Yes. But if you're for an economic reason, then hire someone who's not charging you $10 million. Yeah. This reminds me of uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Leonardo DiCaprio got $10 million for it, and Jonah Hill got sagged deal, which is 60 grand. Mm. Come on, lean in, Jonah. Yeah. This conversation's going to continue. It should continue, because it's clear that there are um, self-centered, narcissistic, nepotistic little fuckboys who aren't listening hard enough. I'm talking about Max and this time. Don't listen to him, seriously. He's like crabgrass, which is everywhere. But it's going to continue because the Akira movie is going to happen at some point. Mm. Like, I, ha- I have theory something's going to be announced soon because I think they'll want it to coincide with the Tokyo Olympics. Mm. It would just be too good a marketing opportunity. So watch that get cast with, like, Scott Eastwood, Jai Courtney or something. Oh, no. No. That would be the most Hollywood thing ever to cast Jai Courtney, wouldn't that? It would. And I like him. <laughs> he's fine, but I always think he's about fine. Him. He's he was better in the water diviner than he was in any other movie I've seen him in. I think I think there's something there that the blockbuster chains don't You think he needs to go back to Australia? Maybe. I'll just always think of that Bob Chipman quote where he says, it's an actor so deprived of a personality that Sam Irvington wants to know who the fuck he is. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say, when the when Akira movie happens, that will piss me off. But the Death Note film that's coming Netflix, I'm so mad about. How do you make a film about a Japanese god of death and have it be full of exclusively white people? I don't know, but there's already a Death Note live action that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really you I should watch like that. <laughs> I like the ending to that better than I like the ending to the anime, actually. God, the anime just sort of dragged on and on and on. Oh my god, fuck oh. here. <laughs> that's kind of what anime does, though. I know. Can I? Is it going to be horrible of me to point out that Nat Wolf is nowhere near good looking enough to play light? Because the whole point of that character is that he is considered the sort of perfection of man. That he's so intelligent and good-looking and charismatic that no one could ever suspect that he would be a murderer even if he fits the model perfectly. It just seems like the epitome of Hollywood to cast a mediocre-looking white dude in that role. Hmm. And if anyone how I would do the Death Note movie, hit me up on Twitter because I've got it all written out. Mm-hmm. Do we have anything else? Aside from our outrage? Just stop doing this bullshit, Hollywood. Just stop it. See, it's very simple. It's very well, simple. You that Fast and Furious money, don't you? <laughs> right. Yeah, leave Charlie's fair once the Fast and Furious money. Alright, so let's switch gears a bit. A lot. <laughs> and, uh... Talk about reality TV and how it's sometimes ridiculous and sometimes dumb and sometimes it's just the most soothing thing ever. Watching people anxiously wait for their bread dough to rise. <laughs> Guess what TV Raiden recently discovered. So, on American Netflix, there is one season of The Great British Bake Off. And if you're lucky, you can find season one 
in season six on YouTube. If you know how to, if you know, and if you're lucky, and if they haven't pulled down. So I've seen three seasons of The Great British Bake Off. It is just so nice. Everybody's so helpful. <laughs> There's no manufactured drama. It's all on, well, did your bread rise enough? Did you get is the right... Is your bottom soggy? <laughs> is your bottom soggy? Yes. <laughs> did your baked Alaska melt? <gasps> bed and scandal! <laughs> wasn't, somebody, yeah, wasn't somebody's custard used in somebody else's cake? And it was like... Oh, that that was oh, another that, that was a that was a different season that I haven't seen. No, but the scandal with the baked Alaska and the ice cream in the bed was literally front page news in the UK. <laughs> we had nothing else to report. <laughs> there was nothing else going on in the world except this bloody cake. <laughs> you know, I was caught up in it as well. I was like, oh my god, you shouldn't go home for that. I understand you a hissy fit, but she took his ice cream out of the fridge. Okay, okay, what happened? Explain to those of us who haven't seen So, what happened is the task was to make a baked Alaska. And a baked Alaska is a sponge cake, and there's ice cream, and then there's frosting of some kind. Meringue, maybe? I don't remember. Everybody had four or five hours to make this. And I mean, somebody at the at the top of the challenge was like, "Make Alaska. How hard is that?" Ha, ha, ha. Well, let me tell you, Internet. Let me tell you, Ian was a dude who he put his his cake with the the ice cream in it into the freezer, and then when he went to pull it out and he took the form off, it just sort of melted all over the place, like. and it appeared from the editing that another competitor had taken it out and then put it back in or something Um, it's not clear what really happened because editing and that competitor mysteriously vanished the next week so for family reasons do you know what the reasons were why she vanished why She'd gone to a restaurant and there'd been an accident, and she lost her sense of taste and smell. That's why oh she died. Yeah, oh. it was even worse than we thought. But this was such a a big scandal in the UK because it was kind of the antithesis of what the Great British Bake Off is. There right. are certain expectations that you have with reality TV, which is, oh, the editing is going to make it. There's going to make more drama than there is. It's going to make heroes and villains and all these things. And Bake Off has never done that. It has never been interested in that kind of artificial drama. You know, the drama is, will this cake rise on time? Did you need the dough enough? Will Berry Berry bake the face? You know, that's it. It is so deliberately genteel and earnest and sweet and unconcerned with meanness. Right. And And I mean, it's... Sorry, go on. And they... The competitor... The... The episodes are filmed on the weekends, so the competitors get to go home to their families and sleep and practice their recipes. Like, they know what the next week's major challenges are, so they get a chance to practice their recipes. They're not just like, here you go, make a make a beef wellington, which you've never made before and possibly never seen in half an hour I mean, like, I love MasterChef, and it's ridiculous, but it is, 
it involves a lot of manufactured drama. And the Great British Bake Off, everybody is well rested and, and relaxed, and the stress just comes from the baking and not from external sources that the producers are manipulating. And then to have this baked Alaska just sort of explode all over the place, and Ian throws a complete temper tantrum, throws the remains of his cake in the bin, and when he is called up to judge, he just brings it in, and he's like, here you go. It was Which shit. Which was really funny. Which was really funny, and it's notable that the next year, there were two major failures in 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 bakes, and both of those competitors had clearly learned the lessons of Bingate and brought up their sort of shattered remains and were like, well... This is this is what I have, but you can judge. You can judge the taste at least. It's a disaster. <laughs> and one of them did go on for another couple of weeks before she was eliminated. I think the the gingerbread house that never got built. He was eliminated on the basis of that. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons I really like Bake Off because I've spent many years trying to aggressively avoid reality TV. My mom really likes a lot of reality TV. She really likes I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Because, yes, that's still a thing in the UK. It is still wildly popular. And that involves a very specific kind of narrative manipulation to create for mm-hmm. here's the villain. Because you've got hours and hours and hours of footage and you've got to condense it into an hour every night. So, obviously, the short have to be taken and you have to craft drama out of a bunch of you know, dealist celebrities sitting around campfire eating rice and beans. Yeah. So there's a reason that my mom watches that show and analyzes it in the same way that other people watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> like she's well into the politics of that show. Uh, but I find it awesome. But yeah. I really love watching Bake Off because I like cake and I like nice people and I like bread puns and I like Mel and Sue going around suggesting that certain pieces of bread like certain pieces of body. Right. And occasionally, every once in a while, Sue will fuck something up. <laughs> and have to admit it. Double entendres and kind of just resort to single entendres. Yep. There's just sort of like suggestively stroking pieces of baguette, for instance. But everyone likes each other as well. There's no like sneering or rolling your eyes or oh, well, they're going to win, and I'm going to beat them. They're my target. It's just like, everyone, good luck. Yeah. Have fun. Yay. And if people finish early, they'll help somebody else out. Like, oh, oh, you need help frosting? I'm done with my bake. We've got five minutes. Let's do this thing. And they all want to win or lose on the strength of their own bakes and not because somebody else fucked up. I think it's worth pointing out that one of the reasons this might be the case is because you don't really win anything when you win the Great British Bake Off. There's no cash prize. There's no, you know, cookbook publishing deal or anything. You win a special cake stand and a handshake, really. That's it. Right. Obviously, that will lead to more. That will like, lead to more. Like, Nadia... Has basically, yeah, got Nadia, the winner of, of season six, who is, like, the most delightful person. Her faces were the best. So many delightful expressions um she i believe was making the queen's birthday cake she did it was the queen's 90th birthday this week so she made her a cake and she's now 
got a cookbook coming out and she's also writing women's fiction. Which, yep. please tell me it's just romance novels of cake. That's <laughs> all I want. But that was one of the things that was a really big point for the Bake Off last year. Nadia Hussein, who won the show, is Muslim, she wears a veil, and she's just the coolest woman ever. But there was a lot of talk about what it means to be British in terms of being part of the Great British Bake Off and a positive kind of nationalism. And I actually think Bake Off is one of the nicer examples of Britishness Mm -hmm. because it's not steeped in like pushing a purity test of nationalism. It's just more concerned with let's find all of the cool, nice people in our country and make them do cool, nice things. There were some horrible racists like the Daily Mail made a joke about how she should have made a chocolate mosque which I would have supported, because I think that would have been badass. But she ended up winning, because she was the best, and there was huge public support for her, and I kind of want her to be, like, the new cook of the country. <laughs> but, like, like her and Nigella should just run shit. So, yeah, you need to watch Bake Off. Because mm-hmm. I believe there was a rubbish American version of the watched. Yeah, like, the American version, we have the great holiday baking show, where Mary Berry also judges. Is this one in Nia Vardalos? Yes. And her husband, Ian Gomez, are the hosts. And it's cute. It's cute. It's just, it's not the same. Yeah, I get that. It's not the same. Even though I discovered that uh, the British word that you guys use for braiding is pronounced wrong. Why do you do that? Why do you say it's flat well, when it's clearly spelled the country the language came from, so... Okay, but then why is that I even in the word? I'm really mad about this. <laughs> I'm so angry. I, are you are you seriously mad about a silent letter in the English language? Yeah, but the I is there. It does a thing. That's why you have it there. That's how that works. It's not like you just have a random E stuck in the end of things. It's supposed to do a thing. It's, it's, pronou- it's spelled plate, so say that. If you want to say plat, then spell it P-L-A-T like a plat map. Come on. Come mm. on. What sound does G-H make? It depends. <laughs> yes, my point exactly. That's not, No, that is not <laughs> the point at all, because G-H and vowel sounds are completely... It's not the same. It's not the same. You're comparing apples and kumquats. Yes, they're both fruit. But that's pretty much it. Okay, so there was a, a one season. <laughs> like, let's just walk away from this argument. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm I'm happy to let you stew in that one. <laughs> so there was one season of an official Bake Off spin-off in America called the American Baking Competition, which just rolls off the tongue. It was notable for one reason in Britain which was that Paul Hollywood went over there to be one of the judges and ended up having an affair with the other judge, cheating on his wife, but everyone knew about it. Oh, how wholesome. And then afterwards he was on, like, every British chat show, kind of crawling back to his wife. So every time he insults someone's bake or does that look where he thinks that he's, like, the culinary version of Simon Cowell, I'm just like, well, you couldn't keep it in your fucking pants, so why should I listen to you? (laughs) My grandmother hates him. It's so funny to watch the show with him. She thinks he's a bastard. Not and just in case, she just doesn't like his face. Yeah. Just in case anyone is curious, the reason that um, 
it's called the Great British Baking Show on American Netflix and on PBS is because Bake Off is trademarked by Pillsbury for their Bake Off competition. So we can't call it the Great British Bake Off here. So, yeah. Yeah. By the way, if you type the Great British Bake Off or Baking Show into Canadian Netflix, it suggests Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries to me. (laughs) As a similar show, I might be interested in. Okay. Okay. I mean, sure. You know... At least it didn't suggest, like, Hannibal. I mean, that would have made more sense, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I like cooking reality shows. I mean, there's... The Emmys split reality into, like, documentary-type reality shows and competition-type reality shows. Mm -hmm. So, like, The Amazing Race, which... I love, but this season they had all of the racers be YouTube stars of some kind. It's terrible. Oh my god. Tyler Oakley mugging for the camera every fucking week. Oh, I can't stand him. I feel like I'm about 20 years too old to be a fan of him anyway, but... Yeah, and all, all these other people who I've never heard of, and it's just like, man, you get so close. Like, Every week, somebody I hate is getting off my TV, which is great. But everybody I hate, like everybody, is awful. (laughs) But I like The Amazing Race because you get to see places that I'm probably never going to go to Dubai, quite honestly. Although the water slides look really great. (laughs) You'd burn. Of course I would burn. Have you seen me? I have, actually. It was great. Yes, the pastiest white girl that ever whited. You know, I don't watch much reality TV anymore, but I used to. I used to watch Top Chef and Project Runway, America's Next Top Model for a while. I was oh. there for the greatest hits, you know, the, we were rooting for you. <laughs> we were all rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. And the, don't cut my hair any further. And then that girl went and married Stephen Amell, so it worked out fine for her. Really? Yeah, Cassandra from series Cycle 5. Wow, I did not know that. Got her long brown hair cut, and she left the show because she didn't want to... Cyrus was like, it's not working, we're going to cut off more. And she was like, no, no, I'm not here for that. And now she's married to Stephen Amell. Good for her. I don't know when I stopped. You know, when, when I was watching all these shows, television without pity was still a thing. And mm-hmm. I think, like, once the forums went down and you couldn't, like, dash to the forums after the episode and, like, gossip about it, it stopped being as fun. Yeah. Yeah, previous kind of replicated that feeling? Yeah, no. Not, I mean, Twitter, if you're watching it live, which a lot of these shows, they're just not worth mm. being appointment TV for. And previously, .TV, their forums are better than nothing. But it's it's not the same. I guess AV Club has discussion threads. There's probably a community there, but it's yeah. not. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of Tejman Without Pity, hasn't it been in the news that somebody bought it to bring it back? What? That's a rumor. That, that was in the news like a week ago. Well, the website has, like, a sort of cryptic message on it, um, but we haven't heard any news. The thing is, 
if it comes back, all the people that are made television about Pity what it originally was. Yeah. They won't yeah. be there because they're on previously.tv, which is great. And has a really good podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't really be really need television about Pity anymore because everyone does recap time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's now almost the de facto way to review a show. For better or worse, it depends on the recap or it depends on the show. Like, it's not reality TV, but Sonia Soraya's recap, The Following, which is the Kevin Bacon James Purify serial killer show that infuriated me and I watched every episode of. Wait, is that Her recaps are legendary. There's one episode of the show which was so bad that it went from being an F to an A. <laughs> <laughs> it was just that level of so bad it's good she had to put the rating to an A. <laughs> that reality TV is really good for that kind of discussion format. Mm-hmm. Particularly the the competition itself. So things like well in America it's called Dancing with the Stars. Here it's called Strictly Come Dancing. Mm-hmm. That, anything with a group of people competing to win something, I think it's well suited. Mm-hmm. I was very active on the So You Think You Can Dance forums. Like, people would just, like, break down their favorite dance of the night, their least favorite number. And... Yeah. Oh, it was good times. That was when we broke the the Tasty Oreo plagiarism scandal. <laughs> I'm still blocked from him on Twitter for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's good times. Worth it. Regret nothing. <laughs> I think um, singing competitions are a good one for that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I think I've seen like half an episode of American Idol, but I read so many recaps of it because <laughs> it's such a fascinating format to me. But I don't necessarily like singing competitions. I like the voice, but I only like watching the blind audition on YouTube where all of the crappy judge banter has been cut. Yeah. Like, I like singing. I like watching how many interesting ways you can press a button and turn a chair around. Mm-hmm. I don't care about anything else. It's one of the reasons I also like the voices because there are so many different versions of it around the world. Mm-hmm. It's all essentially the same format, and you just get to see which country has the weirdest judges. Like, all of the judges in Italy look like the minions that you have to fight in order to get to the big baddie at the end of the film. And I love- <laughs> There's one woman, and she's got lovely hair, but she's got one really long dreadlock that she just is hanging by her side, and it's creepy. <laughs> this woman is white as well, which is what makes Well, of course. See, European singing shows are funny, because it's essentially who gets to represent Europe at the next Eurovision this yes. year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and who gets to be the judge on that show after being on the Eurovision Song Contest? <laughs> because one of the Russian ones is. The guy that won it few years ago he's a judge on the russian version of voice i can't remember his name oh russia this russia have the, yeah russia has the voice now because for a lot like russia i don't think ever got pop idol it got star factory which is a format that never really made it to america or i'm not sure it even made it to the uk but it was in a few countries in europe where they were essentially like mentored in singing and dancing and performing to manufacture an idol no we never had that we just oh, had like it had thing. What I think is actually the most batshit moment in all of reality singing TV, this was the Ukraine Star Factory. 
uh, one of the judges, Svetlana Labada, she's, I, I like her music a lot, like she's really popular, and Mats Farsky, who is, uh, who's now, a, you know, this was a few years ago, he's actually a legit pop star now, I think he might be going to Eurovision, actually, maybe that's just my wishful thinking, but anyway, he was a contestant that year, and apparently, like, completely in love with her, he cut his wrists on live TV. Whoa! What?! Out of no. place, who express angst at his unrequited love for her? No. Yeah, it's a Was YouTube. this written by Tolstoy? Yeah. Not that interesting. This is, a, this is wow. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I think you can find it on YouTube if you guys want. I'm not sure it's in good taste to link to. <laughs> yeah. That's even better than the. Um... I was talking with my friend Catherine, who's from New Zealand, and she mentioned that there was like a Survivor-style reality show in New Zealand where one season they decided to have the contestants all be like proper like soldiers and SES and, you know trained kind of very big physical presences and one of the guys got voted off but refused to leave the island and basically went rogue with a bunch of weapons and they had to <laughs> oh that's out. amazing <laughs> I'm going to take this up with you guys because like <laughs> that's what you want in that show right yes <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Like this, I, I don't watch Survivor. I've never watched Survivor, but apparently this season they've had a bunch of medical evacs. That Linda Holmes is like, most of these could be could have been prevented if they had you know like band aids and neosporin. It's funny to spread on drama because you can go from the from these legitimate like. Ten situations, and then on the say Project Runway side, there was that one episode. Tim Gunn didn't hug the contestant, voted off, and that's how you knew that that was the most loathsome person in the world. Because if Tim Gunn will not, Tim touch Gunn, you, if you, Tim yes. Gunn can touch you, you're dead. You're done. <laughs> and we, it was kind of obvious. Like he was really like bitchy, and all the people watching were like, "Come on, what is with his?" And then like Tim Gunn's like, "Well, I'm gonna send you to pack now, and no hug." And everybody was like, <gasps> "That was amazing." Oh, yeah. I mean, I also like the cooking shows like Chopped and Cutthroat Kitchen. I love Cutthroat Kitchen. I shouldn't love Cutthroat Kitchen, but oh my god, it's so ridiculous. Adore it. <laughs> I, I like the cooking ones as well. We have Master Chef in the UK, but it's mm-hmm. far less bombastic than the American version. Well, we don't have Gordon Ramsay. We have well, yeah. <laughs> Greg Wallace, who is very cheery and likes cake. Once okay. again, this is as British as it gets. I unashamedly love Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, me too. Me I love too. Master I... Chef Junior because it's clear that he can't call an eight-year-old a bastard. So he has to find <laughs> no, interesting and... ways to get around that. Yeah, and he's generally... And he's I've said this kids. before, that gen- even on on Grown Up Master Chef, he is usually generally supportive. Like Hell's Kitchen, when it's like you can't make a fucking risotto, you're in Hell's Kitchen for fuck's sake. You should know how to basically sear scallops so that they're not terrible. And you can't do that. Who the fuck even are you? Whereas, especially a Master Chef Junior, but also a Master Chef Senior. He's in teaching mode, and he's a little bit more caustic with the adults. But it's, uh, I mean, especially with the kids, when he, when like the first season of MasterChef Junior, when one of the girls was trying to make a cake, she's like, "I don't like cake. I've never made cake. I don't know what I'm doing." 
And she starts crying because she fucked it up. And he comes running over and he's like, okay, what happened? What happened? We can, we can work with this. Let's go. And he helps her sort of get everything back on track. And then you have seven-year-old little Sarah, who's like less than three feet tall. And she explains to him her theory on keeping her enemies closer. <laughs> and he gets this look on his face like, I've just seen hell. <laughs> and it's an adorable little seven-year-old who's eaten jelly beans. <laughs> I tend to like watching cooking reality TV shows because I don't cook very well myself. And there is a, a hint of the living vicariously through that. Because I don't give a shit about singing. I know I can't dance. Okay, but, but neither can the contestants on Strictly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Strictly is actually weirdly watchable. Um, because occasionally you get really good looking blokes doing the samba. Like Ricky Whittle from The 100 and Now American Gods is best known in the UK for being on a soap opera and doing Strictly Come Dancing. So, like, if you want some fanfiction material, go on YouTube and you can see him do a fabulous rumba. Mm. And of course he's got the shark that's got, like, no buttons until, like, the navel. So. Oh, you don't not. have buttons in Latin Ballroom. <laughs> <laughs> no. hey, buttons ruin your aerodynamics. <laughs> see, outside of competition shows, I, here's what I, I found. Hoarding. There are two hoarding shows. There's hoarding, and then there's there's hoarders, and there's hoarding burned alive. They're different shows. If you need to clean your home, but you cannot find the motivation, about ten minutes into a hoarding show, you will start picking things up, and by the end of it, you are in full on cleaning mode. This has never failed me. That is currently, it is currently my grandmother's favorite TV show, but she, my grandmother is um, completely free of tact. So, well, I would be watching that show and thinking, oh, it's this is very tragic. There's a lot of people here who need serious mental health. I wish they had the assistance and the healthcare they needed. My grandmother's response will be, oh, for fuck's sake, get over it. <laughs> She's like, you should be shitting in a bottle. What the fuck are you doing? Where are the family in this? Like, my grandmother does not care about these people. She just wants inspiration to clean. Which I get. Like, her house is always spotless after watching that show. I don't know how you feel about shows like that. Like, mm. this is one of the problems with reality TV is that, yeah. like, generally, TV in general turns into a lawyer. There's a lot of, you know, psychological analyses written about this. Yeah. The stuff like that, to me, feels very exploitative. I much prefer the very measured and practiced full narrative stuff. Like, something like RuPaul's Drag Race. Is so clearly, you know, organized and prepared, and the narrative is in place, you know? Mm -hmm. And everyone that show was exactly what they're in for. It's, it's almost like a parody of reality show with the way it unfolds. I don't feel bad watching stuff like that. Mm. But then, like, I like watching true crime stuff, and that makes me feel like a horrible human being. Now, whenever I feel the need to feel better about every single one of my life choices, my go-to is House Hunters International and Tiny House Hunters. <laughs> I was going to bring that up because we were asked on Twitter to talk about it. Yeah, well, especially Tiny House Hunters 
It's like, we have four children, and we want to have less space, and we want to have a king-size bed and a full kitchen, and also less than 200 square feet. Well, no, you you can't have those things. Like, oh my god, this is really tiny. Where all you can't have as much stuff. It's a tiny house. <laughs> like, you can't... You can't... You're, you are terrible, terrible people. You're awful. And then you have have like i watched an episode set in boston and they were looking at tiny tiny apartments that are going to cost five six hundred thousand dollars and i'm like see you're marketing this as a tiny house but really it's the studio apartment that you're saying well it's a tiny house so we can jack up the price and this is one of the reasons our real estate market is so fucked up it's terrible you can make such uh, great drinking games out of House Hunters episodes because for one one thing I noticed is if there's a red door in the house, <laughs> 100% of the time, one of the couple, usually the wife, will say, oh, I like that door color. Or a nice mm-hmm. door color. Something. There will always be a comment about how much they like every red door that appears. I'm like, oh, red door sighting. And then it always happens. Uh, of course, there's the usual, like, you know, we want... Three beds, two bathrooms, you know, how many square feet, right. and like under a quarter million, <laughs> quarter million right. in the center right. of the city near the, the highway. Most American cut kitchen in Paris because you can't, because it's not, you can't. There's the people who have like vacation or moving to another country and buying summer homes, like, well, why can't I have? Because. Because. But it's also really fascinating, like when, for example, house hunting in New Zealand and the family had to learn, well, how, where are you going to get your water? Mm-hmm. They're like, what do you mean? Well, like, it, it's not like America. You're not just going to have... <laughs> you need to collect rainwater and stuff. <laughs> it's a thing. Yeah, it's good times. But that generally makes me feel better about all of my life and choices. Our version of that, it's not quite the same, but we have a show called Grand Designs. And it's basically when super rich people get to renovate their houses. And they always end up spending like 150 grand on tile. And then wondering, oh, I had a budget, I don't know where it's gone. It's like, because you've imported marble from Italy for your fucking kitchen. That's where the money's gone. So you spend my show sort of like half admiring really beautiful houses and half wanting these people to go bankrupt. How much of that actually one of the things that I I find comfortable in fiction as well as more non-fiction reality programming is that kind of fetishizing of wealth and money and capitalism. Mm-hmm. Like I don't give a shit about the real housewife stuff and part of that is just because I'm not interested in seeing these very wealthy people go through money like it's you know water coming out of tap. That makes me incredibly uncomfortable. I can't read about it in a, a fictional context. It's just, it's such a turn off. Mm-hmm. I get why it's an escape for some people. Like, I get why something as benign as keeping up with the Kardashians is as popular as it is with a certain demographic. But for me, it is an instant, you know, I'd rather watch the ceiling situation. Yeah. Not to judge anyone who does watch that. You know, enjoy what you want. I just, I get or I, I do get it. I just like it. <laughs> like my favorite, one of my favorite reality. We should tie it back to 
competition stuff is in the UK for a few years they did musical theatre style reality competition to find the star of shows that Andrew Lloyd Webber was doing which mm-hmm. were never original but one of them was his but like they were productions that he was just producing that he not originated so the first one was how do you solve a problem like Maria which was obviously to find a Maria for some music I remember that one yeah oh, they did one for Joseph and the Amazing Technical Dreamcoat they did one for Oliver uh, they did one for The Wizard of Oz you know that musical that you've seen in a theatre Mm-hmm. And they did one for Jesus Christ Superstar, which I didn't watch because they moved onto a different channel. It just wasn't as interesting. Um, <laughs> the reason I watched the show, despite my overwhelming hatred of Andrew Lloyd Webber, is it was the most fascinating combination of you know, 100% over top cam and genuinely sinister. Mm-hmm. Like, this was, I, I describe it being the Hunger Games set on a cruise ship. Like, there was always a genuine fear that someone didn't tap dance hard enough, they were going to die. And I yeah. love it. So I'll start with Over the Rainbow, because it was the one I most recently watched, which was a couple of years ago. So Andrew Lloyd Webber looks for a new Dorothy for a stage show of The Wizard of Oz that he's mounting, which includes original songs by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Mm. Yeah. The man who hasn't had a hit musical in, what, 25 years? Something like that. And I say so, that as someone who has seen Love Never Dies. Oh, why? Were you tied uh, in the chair? Uh, no, I actually spent money on it, and I actually I don't regret it, but it wasn't good. Did you at least get to see Ramin Karimloo? Yes, I did, and I met him at the stage door after, and he was so sweet. He was like, did you enjoy the show? I'm so glad you came. He, he was adorable. Why did you not rescue him from the sinking ship? Uh, uh, he's fine. <laughs> he's fine. Look at him. Come on. He's fine. He's, <laughs> he's, he's always fine. He's fine. <laughs> so no, fine. seriously, guys, this dude, this dude is hot. <laughs> okay, sorry. Carry on. <laughs> so, yeah, this is all of the songs you remember from The Wizard of Oz, the few ones by Andrew Lloyd Webber, and The Wizard is being played by Michael Crawford, who came out of retirement for this because the last show he'd done with Andrew Lloyd Webber almost literally killed him. <laughs> no, no, seriously. He almost died doing The Woman in White. Like, look it up. It is that poor man. So you go through the audition process. You perform on stage. You, you sing your musical number. You're judged by Sheila Hancock, the great British actresses. It's sad that she was in this. And then you send 50 Dorothy's off to a barn to sing and dance and then pick 12 to be on the live show. Which was almost exclusively white. Because <laughs> they just kept talking to all of these darker-skinned black women and saying, I'm sorry, you're just not Dorothy. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. So then they get like, by Graham Norton because it needed to be gayer. <laughs> and they have all of the judges, including Andrew Lloyd, sitting on thrones. And next to him, he has this clear pierced dome. And inside the dome is the pair of red slippers that the winner's going to get. They're oh, for fuck's sake. So they sing for votes of the public, but they all do musical theatre versions of songs. Which is just proper like, musical theatre kit stuff. And at the end, the two 
have a big thing on they say it's usually an Android number. You know, gotta get those residuals. And then the Lord himself picks who gets to be saved. The loser then has to stand there in a gingham dress. She's auditioning to play Dorothy and she's dressed like a nineteenth century sex worker. Like she's corseted up, her boobs are up to her neck. But she's auditioning to play Dorothy. Mm-hmm. So she stands there. The others who remain the next week sing around her and pat her on the shoulders like a goodbye and basically sing we thank you very sweetly for doing it so neatly to thank him for saving them. Then one of the darkies makes the loser take off her shoes and she has to hand them to actual light weather who puts them on the book tree. And they just cry week after week or she's got on like, their trophies of a serial killer. And then... <laughs> and the loser has to get on a crazy moon that flies over the ground as she sings over the rainbow and people wave to her. Even right, the show ends and then take her down off of that and walk off stage. Why bother with the stage musical? Why not just watch this? And it's been on for like 10 years. This is one of my favorite That's and sadistic. She and she gets her knees red shoes at the end. But I was really sad that he didn't like use Andrew Lloyd Webber's face to smash the door. Do you want But it was just so bizarrely entertaining because it was this mix of good old fashioned Saturday family entertainment and then like a drag queen horror show. We should also say that on the other versions of the show they did for um, Sound of Music and such, one of the judges was John Bonham, Captain Jack, the man in Scotland. So every time they introduce Andrew Lloyd Webber on this show, they play the overture to Phantom of the Opera and then flames shoot out from the side of his throne. Oh, of course, naturally. What else would you come out to do? <laughs> Man, that musical makes a whole lot more sense when you realise that he basically wrote it as an obsessive love present for Sarah Brightman. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Does that stop me from loving it? No. I don't love it, but it is very watchable. Like, it's fabulously 80s. The electric oh. guitar. Yeah. And I have seen that movie a few times. Of course. Oh, yeah. I it's own not it. A good movie. I own it. Oh, God, no, but... I think Gerard Butler tries his hardest. <laughs> oh, bless. <laughs> I will say, the Red Death outfit in that film is my favourite outfit in any film ever. Mm. So if you haven't watched Over the Rainbow or How Do You Sell Robin Like Maria or Any Dream Will Do, which is the Joseph one, which features lots of guys in, like, chest-lashing jackets, it's way less sexual than you're imagining. Yes. The entire version, the Canadian version of Over the Rainbow is on YouTube. Of course it is. But Good no to know. Yeah, I all of it. It was like fabulously Canadian. That poor host had no idea what he was doing, where he was at any given time. <laughs> but there was less after Lloyd Webber on it, which made it a lot easier to watch. <laughs> Nobody rode down on a chandelier. <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody came in dressed like a cat. Are butting against the furniture either. <laughs> oh, we have breaking news for so you think you can dance. 
Well, not breaking. They're about a couple of months old. But I just found out. That's not breaking at all. That's the antithesis of breaking news. We are getting a new season. The next generation. It's going to be kids, and it's going to feature Maddie Ziegler as a, as a judge. She's 13. So this is definitely going to go well. <laughs> yeah. How on earth can you do the, like, hugely inappropriate dances with those kids? I will find a way, I'm sure. Like, that's a whole other offshoot of reality TV I can't deal with. No, yeah. Like, I mean, like, on... So You Think You Can Dance has definitely been going downhill the past several years. Oh, yeah. But can the inappropriate dances get really any worse than the music video for The Elastic Heart? Because that was a whole new level of uncomfortable for me. You know, it makes me so... Like, I get why Sia doesn't want to be a public figure. But why is her surrogate game prepubescent child star who she makes wear a new leotard? And dance with Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> please let there not be, like, a live performance with Maddie and Shia in the season of So You Think You Can Dance. Please. I don't think I could survive that. Yeah. I would like... Everything on TLC that isn't suggested. Oh, die. Man, TLC 10, 15 years ago, you were kind of a fun network. And now you're just. Learning channel? Yes. (laughs) So, yeah. Let's just exploit everybody. I was not shocked to find out that certain members of the Duggar family are still getting TV shows. Yeah. No. Definitely not. This was supposed to cheer us up. How did we end up back in depressing? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I'm going to go bake Uh, a cake or something. Oh, wait a second. I'm going to a Seder dinner tonight. I can't bake a cake. It's leavening. (laughs) Well, you're having a far more Jewish Passover than me. Are you kidding me? I've been invited to two. All right. Well, this has been our episode 43. Yeah, tweet us your reality shows and any crazy moments, live moments. That's what it's good for, really. The the, the live yeah. shocker, right? Yeah. Send us the really terrifying stuff that happened in international editions that we need to look up on YouTube. Yes, definitely. We're totally down for that. Let us know what you think of Tiny House Hunters and the various clones. And we'll see you next month. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to Anglophies, a made of fail production. They keep recommending on Amazon now that I buy that one Russian ice skating romance series. <laughs> and I just feel like every time they recommend it, Elena's head kind of pops up like a meerkat going, what was that? <laughs> Kaylee, you gotta say bye. I did say bye. I didn't hear it. This is a real Cleo moment. It really is. 